There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the Matrix on the 7th of July 2010. I've always suggested and always will suggest that newcomers look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com Bookmark all the other sites you'll see listed there. These are the official sites I have up. Anything else is not mine. And remember that all these sites have audios for downloads. They all have a lot of transcripts in English of these talks I've given for download and print up. But if you want languages in other, from other countries, go into alanwattsentinel.eu and uh, choose the language of your choice, choice for the, the transcripts. But it has the same audios too. And you might find it easier when you find uh, too many folk going into the com at the same time, which happens during the previous day. Uh, I mean, the following day, I should say. Early in the morning, in fact. Um, you get sticking on downloads. So try these alternate sites, as I say all listed at CuttingTributaries.com website on the front page. While you're there, go into the books I have for sale. They are different. They are very different, in fact, from the standard books you'll see authorized to be put out there from the the weird to the wonderful to the ridiculous. And um, I, I show you techniques within the books of mind control, really. It's chronology. It's the art of chronology and how vast amounts of people, whole nations can be, really put under a form of mind control that the ancients knew with their various religions right up to the present day. And, of course, now it's into the university level and taught to people who go into politics as advisors in special capacities. They're always appointees, and they're the guys behind the scenes that are the, the drivers, really, of the presidents. The presidents and politicians are just the front men for these guys. We're run by chronology, so I try to show you how it's done. Uh, they definitely have the little signs and symbols which they love so dearly and they flash in front of you all the time. And it's very important, remember, to watch when presidents or prime ministers get up for a speech, a major speech, watch flags at the side, watch how they're furled, watch what is shown, even though it's, hang, it's hanging there and it's drooping, watch what is shown to you. And it's interesting what you will see, along with the little phrases that they give out in the speech to uh, add to the symbolism because everything tells a story and combined it tells you the, the, the true story, not the one that, that you're thinking you're hearing for, meant for the public. So it's interested me, for instance, when the U.S. goes to war yeah, and the president comes on with a speech, you'll always see the flag uh, furled, it's hanging down there, and the, the only foot of the eagle that's a, uh, apparent to you is the one with the arrows. That's for war, you see. That's a symbol of Manasseh, for those who don't know. The same as the Rothschild's shield that's on their shield. It's one of the symbols on their shield. Uh, Manasseh uh, is the eagle with the, the arrows in one and the olive branch on the other. Uh, so wait, look at it. It's so, so, so important to see what's really being shown to you. If they're not really going to go to war, you'll see the olive branch there. So it's a con for the public to terrify you for some other reason. 
So buy the books and the CDs and the DVDs I have for sale because I try to show you a form of um, deprogramming because we've all been programmed. We're born into the program. Your parents were too, and they start the process off. Maybe kindergarten will take it over from them, and cartoons take over as well. They're full of uh, uh, politically correct and upcoming agendas from the greening and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and you'll also find it through the school system that finishes off the job for them. So we're all standardized into a different reality. We're all into the right Plato's cave, they say. We're all in the same big massive cave or cavern. Stuck together, all agreeing that we all know what, all, whatever there is to know because we're so bright, we're so well-educated, and we've all been fools and suckers in reality. Back with more after these messages. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. The matrix is that system you're born into, and it takes an awful long time if you even try to start figuring out how it works, uh, where it all is, because there's lots of compartments in the matrix. Uh, Every class has been given a special matrix for themselves. That's from the media and so on. That's why they give you um, the so-called respectable newspapers where the politicians and the bureaucrats and so on all live, so that they'll get set in the mindset that they're supposed to use for their term and employment. Uh, then they give the middle classes uh, a different uh, outlet for papers, uh, novels and so on for their class, so they'll also get the messages that they're supposed to. In other words, you always go for the managers first over the other people. And then the working class, you get the, the rags at the bottom with the oohs and the as. And, and who's had the, the boob implant and stuff like that. That literally is what they, they feed you at the bottom. Uh, and they give you headlines, which are often misleading according to the stories they're actually presenting. And you'll see some horrific uh, stories coming out of uh, countries like Iraq. And then next door to it, right next to it, all down the side, is all the Hollywood trash stuff. And uh, as I say, the bimbos, uh, that's for the lower classes, all managed that way. So the, the, most of the people are in the lower classes, and they, they literally are given a schizophrenic idea of what the world's all about. Why do anything about it when it's kind of unreal? Because after all, how can you put such horrific stories right next door to all this trashy stuff at the bottom, along the sides of it? And that's what Carol Quigley said, too. He said, uh, he said that the Times, for instance, was managed as one of their, front, their first main newspapers that was aimed specifically at the managerial class, the managers over the public, the ones who would be the bureaucrats and civil servants who would read it and manage the public. So they were given all their ideas, mainly from that particular newspaper. Then they spread out into other branches, and then they created what they call uh, the moguls, the newspaper moguls, the barons, and uh, they always get knighted for their work. They also gave them for every British Commonwealth country the same idea, uh, chains of them. And in Canada, we had ours too, which also ran most of the U.S.'s through Conrad Black for a long time, and Barbara Walters and Kissinger, who was also a member of it. And um, that was a Hollinger group. So they, they literally give you all the news which is not really news, it's more indoctrination with slants and how you're going to perceive it and how you will then act it into your work life or those beneath you if you're in the managerial class. 
and, uh, and then, as I say, they give appropriate stuff for the classes down below. It's always been that way for a long, long time. So even those who, who read these newspapers at the top are still being conditioned with, with what's politically correct for them, for their class, but they don't decide themselves what is. It comes from a higher level than themselves. It comes from the group, the CFR and so on, the ones who own the, the media, who belong to All Souls College in England, because that's where the inner group still meets. And uh, they decide the news for the whole planet, including the India Times for the Indians to run their country and every other country that they're a member of. In the States, they, they had the New York Times, they had the Christian Science Monitor, and different ones like that, all run by the Royal Institute of International Affairs, dash CFR. And if you go into the Chatham House, that's the headquarters for the, for the Royal Institute of International Affairs. The one in the States is called the Harold Pratt's Building, um, and that's the CFR. Uh, and look into all the projects they're working on. This non-profit independent organization, as they say, just like the RAND Corporation that uh, tells governments what's coming up and how to avoid things and what things are best to introduce in policies for the public, etc. The parallel government, as Quigley called them, and that's what they are. And they've told us in all their sites, too, that uh, all these possible scary scenarios which they see happening from 2012, and I'm not kidding, even that um, Global Business Network-Rockefeller um, uh, survey they had with a think tank working for it came up with the same scenarios with food shortages, riots, and so on, starting in the year 2012. Maybe in some third world countries they didn't dispute it couldn't uh, happen in the West as well and rising and escalating up to the years 2030 and beyond. That ties in, as I say, with the think tanks which uh, work for the British military, and they give them their scenarios for the next 50 years, and then the one for the U.S. military, which they're all on board with the same agenda. The public are the enemy, apparently. They're terrified of the public, and therefore they're going to massive overkill in order to maintain power. That's what the whole, all these surveys and these think tanks are about how to maintain power as they bring the world first into the global society and then they bring it all down. We're actually in the society now, global society, and they're working hard to bring it all down. That's why the crash happened when it did. Uh, that is why 9-11 happened when it did, the Pearl Harbor event. I have no doubt, too, that's why the BP oil rig happened when it did, because that's their Pearl Harbor event for the environmental uh, carbon taxes and everything else, and energy conservation. Yeah. Nothing big happens in the world without being planned that way. And everything about the BP oil spill stinks to high heaven. So we're, we're in um, a post-democratic society. That's what they're calling it at the top amongst themselves and their publications. And you can go into their own sites and check all this stuff out. Democracy is too cumbersome. Margaret Thatcher talks about this when she said that when she retired from politics, well, she went into the House of Lords, but she said, I belong to the parallel government. She said, we all know each other, ex-prime ministers, ex-presidents across the world, and we still work together. We are not answerable to the public, so we can get things done. Uh, They're called technocrats now, the ones with the real power, according to Quigley, because it's true. Uh, Whatever they're up to is never mentioned in the media. The politicians take the heat for what they're doing. 
but uh, the technocrats don't take the heat for anything. They're very efficient, they're quick, they're on board with one agenda, and they all agree the world cannot be run in a democratic fashion. It's becoming too complex, they say, over and over. Too many competing and conflicting parties and groups all vying for their special wants and demands, and therefore uh, they have to run this world in an authoritarian fashion. And that's what you've been seeing since 2001, and it's to get a lot, lot worse. And they did say in that Global Business Network, and going to my, my site there, I talked about it a few days ago then, like last week as well, um, you'll see they talk about that, that the public will have to accept more and more authoritarian rule. They say that's the only way that they can bring them through uh, possible coming flu pandemics and all this kind of stuff, all the usual panics they give us to scare us into saying, please help us, just feed us. We'll do anything you say. And we know too that, as I say, and I've said this from the very beginning, the internet was given to the public. I've gone through who gave it to us. And they're still working hard, even with the Global Business Network and the Rockefeller Foundation, those particular guys in technocracy. And um, the Internet really is a, a way of monitoring us, you see, constantly updating our data to those who build it into a personality profile automatically. And then they can actually run programs on you to see how, how you would react in a virtual little program. How do you re- react in different situations? And they say it's quite perfect, in fact. So it's not forever, you see. Uh, Lots of people probably will stay on it as long as they're given it, uh, regardless of of the fact that... In fact, a lot of youngsters will actually say that. They don't mind. They don't mind. It's almost like they're saying, well, who needs privacy anyway? And eventually, uh, having privacy or even saying I want or demand privacy is going to be antisocial, just like the China you use social approval and disapproval. And the guys who designed that for China work at the United Nations. They actually wrote a book a while back that, and claimed that they were also the ones who created the Pavlovian responses against smokers to, to the non-smokers by getting to the children and having them go into coughing uh, bouts whenever they saw someone 50 yards away light up a cigarette. Social approval, social disapproval. Can be, can be introduced into any society. You will see it uh, across the Western world. You're already seeing it, in fact, across the Western world in some countries like Britain, where people turn in neighbors because they saw them putting the wrong item in the wrong garbage bin. You see, social approval, social disapproval. They train us by using the mob, the brainwashed masses who think it's all wonderful. And they play that song all the time, don't worry, be happy. You know, but that type. And we also know that the so-called smart meters are putting in for your electricity. Because uh, I talked to them here, and they put it in here. You have no option, by the way. Unless you just want to cut them off altogether. Um, they, they said that it communicates to their headquarters in two fashions. One is FM. And the other one is broadband, basically, in other words, straight across the, the incoming cables. I always knew that AC lines were two-way communications. And that's another thing, too. I'm going to, I'm going to one night and tell you how they've been snooping in your homes, not by putting in anything special, but by putting in this natural 
sockets into your wall with hard plastic that vibrates when you speak and stuff like that. You have no idea how many ways they have to snoop on you and have been for maybe 60, 70 years. (laughs) But that's the real world, you see. Because, you see, we must always be monitored. Always be monitored. Uh, They used to send spies out in the 1800s. I think the city of London had over a 1,000 spies or so. Again, Greater London had 5,000 spies, all placed amongst the public in their streets, etc. And they'd know them as Mr. Jones or Mr. Brown or whatever. And he would uh, either be retired or semi-retired or something like that. And they would collect just gossip on all the neighbours to see what they were up to, who was doing what. That's how they kept tabs on everybody in their, under their dominion. Back with more after these messages. Cutting through the matrix, and the matrix is, as I say, it's full of deception. You're born into it. You didn't design it. You didn't design this system. It was designed long before you were even thought of. And it's been on the go for an awful long time. In ancient times, they used to have priests that uh, would give the mindsets to the people, even as far back and even before, I'm sure, ancient, ancient Egypt and how they, they knew the techniques to condition slaves so that they would never run away. Never run away, because that eye of Ra was everywhere, always watching you, always always watching everything that you did, even knew what you were thinking. And you raised the children like that of, of the slaves, and they're very passive and obedient, and they're taught there's nothing they can do, there's nowhere they can go, their only function is to serve, and that's what they did, they served. If someone had come along and says, you know, there's no one around here for an awful long way, so why don't you just run off? It would have sounded crazy to them. That's utterly nuts. You can make people believe anything if you get them early enough. More so if the parents in turn already were indoctrinated into the same system. Everything will seem quite natural to them, in fact. And that's how it is to us today, too. People really think that they're born free. It's a crazy system to to think that you're born free. Um, Because you're not born free. Uh, You cannot be born free with pre-existing duties to the state. And really, that's what a citizen means. If you're proud to be a citizen, then you therefore therefore have pre-existing duties to the state before you were born. You're born into it with pre-existing duties. And they keep increasing these duties. It's interesting that the word duty also means taxes, eh? Duties. It means taxes, and taxes means labor. And of course, the substitute for all labor is money. And that's what they make you earn so that they can tax it back from you. So in reality, they're getting you to work a lot for a lot of your work and put it in for actually nothing to pay them. And Jefferson said the truth, too. He said, be, be it the fact he was a, a high mason, all the rest of it. And those were the days of revolutionary Freemasonry. But he did say that any, any generation born in to a system where they have pre-existing debt to pay off by a generation that is already gone, 
are therefore slaves. They're born into slavery. That's what slavery is. And yet government somehow along the line, uh, without changing anything on the books that we can see, gave themselves permission to borrow money outside of their own countries and put you all down as collateral, basically, uh, and guarantors that you will pay off these debts. That's what started with the Bank of England. They knew that back in the Founding Fathers' Day of the U.S. And Britain went to war after war after war after that because it had a mission, and the mission was to create a world federation, the federation of the world, the commonwealth. And they knew that the U.S., and they fought hard against central banking, but they got one pretty quick, and then they got the real one much, much later, under a con, of course, as they had to do it. And uh, the bankers rule the system. And since when, again, does your government borrow from abroad, from a world bank, in order to give to a third world country? It doesn't, isn't that what charity is supposed to do? Voluntary, as a voluntary thing? And you know darn well, when government's involved, it's not going to the third world country, at least not to the people. It goes to international corporations that set up in that place. And it goes through each government's department of overseas economic development corporation, this strange semi-public-private organization that's been there, set up under all the, 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 the signatories and the countries that signed on to the United Nations at the end of World War II. They were doing exactly then what Karl Marx was talking a long time before about the redistribution of wealth. Your wealth, not theirs, of course. The wealthy don't do that. They've got all these loopholes built into the system. But to make sure that your money was transferred abroad, for the greater good, you understand, for the international corporations, they would bring employment overseas as they raped and pillaged the land. And that's the reality of what we're living through and have been living through and your parents lived through. And their grandparents as well. You cannot write a charter of rights and a constitution and then sit in your Jack Duff. Your Jack Duff is your posterior, thinking it's all been done. Because as soon as the ink dried, there's all the people already working to alter it, which they did, of course. Power is amazing. It's a, it's a magnet to psychopaths. And you do have intergenerational psychopaths and families, and who can also work together with other family psychopaths in the same line when it benefits themselves. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watson. We're cutting through the matrix. I just got cut off there, so I'll, I'll carry on. I think I was just talking about um, really rights and freedoms and how they're uh, they're grabbed off you before you know it, before the ink dries on the paper that says you have any rights. And if you read, if you read, and you've got to read the book, not just the the, the silly little um, cartoon that they did on Animal Farmed by George Orwell. Read the book because you'll see 
uh, in a comical fashion how they kept altering their constitution by going up in the middle of the night, little pigs, and up a ladder, and uh, adding another word to the end of each sentence that completely changed the meaning. So these tricks obviously are not new. They were not done for the first time in the U.S. either, or by the U.S. They were done by other countries long before them. And that's what clever people do. They run by deceit. They're very good at deceit. And something as simple as changing a word or altering a word or or adding a word at the end of something uh, would occur to them and you would feel all terrible about trying that. you get caught, it would be wrong. But no, they don't have any of this conscience problem. And they know themselves that they can generally get away with it. The public are so naive, incredibly naive, because we're told so much rubbish by the controlled media, the owned media, every day, and it's worked so well up until now they tell us whatever nonsense they wish to. We saw the farce of of, uh, the embedded reporters as they went into Iraq, for instance. Embedded reporters going in with your own troops were going to be impartial. You know, it doesn't work that way. Why bother giving us propaganda at all? That's all it was. But getting back to the the initial that I started off about uh, the Internet, too, and how you've really helped them as they alter us, of course, that you help them to get personality profiles. The Pentagon literally has a little virtual you and one of their massive uh, um, computer banks there. And I read the article about a year ago or more uh, on the air here where they do all these little simulations on what would you do if you were in this situation and that situation and so on. All for predictability, for totalitarian societies. They must have the people being very predictable. They used thousands of spies uh, before they had electronics, at least openly to the public. They had electronics before we heard of radios and so on. And um, and that was much easier. We help them with their data collection. The, the up-and-coming generation are addicted to the nets. And regardless if it changes right over to the mainstream, which it really has, uh, then... They'll continue as long as they can get their porn and their games and stuff on it like that and their little Facebooks and all that kind of stuff for free. But they're going to start bringing down the sites they don't like. I talked the other day too about those sites that they're going to start going after with controversial views. And it all comes again under the radicalization, homegrown radicalization of terrorists and so on, which is a broad covering for for anyone who doesn't agree with the the establishment in power. Anybody, obviously. And I mentioned too about the kill switch that Lieberman and the rest had suggested they put in it for the Internet. And everybody's panicking too because they can't think of doing without the Internet. It's like the world would end if there had no Internet. It even happened in Y2K. That's how quickly people adapted and got addicted to the Internet. They forgot all about writing letters and, and printing up newsletters and sending them out and stuff like that, or lines of communication uh, that were already established by people who did not have the Internet, who lived before you. It's out the window. It doesn't dawn on them. And most would never go back to it, you see. Too much trouble. It's easy to sit there and you're... Again, you're duff and just click away there and send things back and forth for the NSA to collect, isn't it? 
So here's an article here reaffirming the same thing. And this was June the 15th, one of the first ones that came out. And it's from ZDNet, and I think that's Australia. This is Internet Kill Switch Proposed for the U.S. And it says here, and US, U.S. Senate bill would grant the present far-reaching emergency powers to seize control or even shut down portions of the Internet. The legislation says that companies such as broadband providers, search engines, or software firms that U.S. government the U.S. government selects shall immediately comply with any emergency measure or action developed by the Department of Homeland Security. Anyone failing to comply would be fined. The emergency authority would allow the federal government to preserve those networks and assets and our country and protect our... It's always, it's always done to protect you. Everything is to protect you. Joel Lieberman, the primary sponsor of the measure and the chairman of the Homeland Security Committee, told reporters on Thursday... Lieberman is an independent senator from Connecticut who meets with the Democrats. Due to there being few limits on the U.S. president's emergency power, which can be renewed indefinitely, the densely worded 197-page bill, and the PDF link for it here is here, actually, uh, which is so you grab it too, you don't know when these things all disappear, is likely to encounter stiff opposition. Tech America, probably the largest U.S. technology lobby group, said it was concerned about unintended consequences that would result from the legislation's regulatory approach and the potential for absolute power. Well, that's what it's all about. It's not just that, but it is for absolute power, isn't it? The potential for absolute power. (laughs) So nothing will happen except everyone will put in their, oh, that's not right, and we're the official uh, representatives of blah, blah, blah. And they'll do not a lot of talking about it, and of course they'll go ahead, as it obviously will. I mean, Obama's gone ahead to sue Arizona, for instance, because Arizona exercised their rights and their laws on immigration. So, I mean, here's here's the federal government trying to block uh, one of their federated states from exercising its own constitutional right because the federal government does not want them to do it. Which means that the federal government wants that particular immigration in, doesn't it? Obviously. And that was July 6th. And it says here, the demonstrator protests against Arizona's controversial immigration law in front of the U.S. Embassy in Mexico City. So they've already got their their, their planned groups down there. They're already organized um, to demonstrate in front of the U.S. Embassy, etc., it says the law requires state and local police to determine people's immigration status if there is reasonable suspicion they are in the United States illegally. The sign reads, Exterm. It says, um, the Obama administration launched a legal attack on Arizona's strict new immigration law Tuesday, arguing that only Washington can set the nation's rules for arresting illegal immigrants. Well, since when? Since when? Isn't it amazing that, that um, Karl Marx telegraphed Lincoln at the end of the Civil War to congratulate him for strengthening and centralizing the government's power. Because, you see, Marxism was about centralization, folks. Total authority from one center. Total authority. And if you read the book by Webster, who wrote it just before the Civil War, it's a book on speeches he made, and he, he said that the, federated, the, fed, the actual states, independent states, had the right to succeed wherever they wanted to if the federal government broke its agreements with them. 
they had the right. Which they all knew at that time. Anyway, the government said Tuesday's immigration enforcement policy targets dangerous aliens, including violent criminals, gang members, drug traffickers, and others who pose a danger to the national security and a risk to public safety. While the Arizona law would force federal officials to cope with a flood of illegal immigrants who pose no danger. How do they know they pose no danger? The lawsuit urges a federal judge in Phoenix to block Arizona's law from taking effect later this month. It adds a new weight on the side of the pending suits by immigrant rights advocates who say Arizona's stepped-up enforcement would lead to racial profiling and harassment of Latinos. So the move raises the political stake for the White House. President Barack Obama made no public statement upon the filing of the lawsuit, but Attorney General Eric Holder and Homeland Security Secretary Janet Napolitano, a former Arizona governor, said the state was out of line. What does that mean? Is that a legal term? It's out of line. Uh, setting immigration policy and enforcing immigration law is a national responsibility, Holder said. A patchwork of state laws will only create more problems than it solves. Well, the only reason that Arizona has introduced it is because, you see, the state wasn't doing it. The, the feds were doing nothing about it. And a lot of chaos has been occurring. It's amazing, too, to me that Obama sends a fleet of ships into Costa Rica, 46 warships and 7,000 marines because of drugs, and taken over a country, really, um, when he knows darn well how much comes in from South America with uh, supposedly these immigrants, uses pack mules, and yet he won't send all that down there. Why? There's always a reason why. Mind you, of course, the CIA always brings in the biggest batch. Maybe, in fact, it's because they don't want competition. The CIA brings most of the stuff in, you see. They don't like competition. That's what the war on drugs is, is to keep all the smallholders out while the big boys like CIA keep keep doing it. That's who, that's who are flying it in. Everyone who knew Bill Clinton long before they made him president knew what was going on down there and where the, where the planes were coming in and out of. Anyway, that's a whole other story. But there's reasons for everything that happens because they must change the face of America. And it means changing the culture of America. That's really what it's about. As I say, they did it in Britain. I've gone through the history of Britain. Uh, I've read the articles from the Secretary of, uh, of uh, Tony Blair, uh, who opened the floodgates even wider than they already were. And Blair said uh, he wanted to change change the face of Britain forever so it could never go back to a British culture had to be destroyed that's the reason in Canada you know I think it was Claire Hoy maybe and the Sun back in the 80s when they used to publish the immigration quotas for Canada he, he had them printed up I think it was Claire Hoy but it was in the Sun anyway and at that time uh, the Canadian policy was 90, 97% non-white only. That was for the immigrant quotas since Pierre Trudeau. That's the policy. That's the policy. It's also the policy of the Royal Institute for International Affairs that runs the Commonwealth, as they call it, the World Commonwealth, with the Anglo-American establishment in the U.S. with the same policy through the CFR. with the free flow of, the, they call it tra- uh, goods, ands, 
labor, selective labor, but they decide from where because they want to eradicate all the tribal factions that lived in their own little countries that could war with each other. That was the excuse they gave. Quite something from the guys who created all the main wars we've ever known. Because they're liars, you see. When you demolish people and they have no culture to stand on, they're sitting ducks for all the changes that you have planned for them because they will not stand up cohesively together to ward off any danger. That's what they know. That's what they know. That's what they've found down through history. It's not the first time this has happened. Amazing policies, isn't it? And Pierre Trudeau, who, as I say, brought in the policy for immigration for Canada, in 1952, was the head of the Comintern, as the International Communist for, Can- for the Canada Party. He led his delegation off to the Moscow meeting to, to meet the big boys in Russia. And then he ran for to be the Prime Minister years later, and not one media reporter would mention that fact, which they all knew very, very well. And you think you're living in a free country where the, where the media is going to tell you real stuff? No. You'll never, ever get that, folks. Never. Here's an article here. This is it's pretty typical of what I'm talking about. This is in, in England, which is just a mess now. It's, I think, it, personally, it's finished. They've had mind games played in them for over 30, 40 years, big time. Totally deculturalized, debased, um, be- fed the best Tavis talk, indoctrination, and even uh, television series by the BBC to degrade them even further. Uh, the, the, the whole campaign through single mums only was really pushed for many, many years until it's the norm, and they get paid to stay at home. And men are all bad. See, men will stand up if they still think they're men. If they have no confidence in themselves, they just get drunk, you see, and sit at the side of the road and allow nasty things to happen. This is the how you. This is real warfare. There's many forms of warfare. You got to understand it. Not just economic, not just bullets and bombs, and psychological. This article here is from the Mail Online. The school with 30 languages, where teachers talk to pupils through a computer translator. 7th of July, a school where 60% of pupils speak English as a second language, meaning basically they're just picking it up now, 60% of them, has invested in electronic translators for every child so they can communicate with teachers. Manor Park Primary in Aston, Birmingham, which has 384 pupils of 32 different ethnicities, is the first school in Britain to provide translators for all of its children and to make the tools an integral part of every session. Technology enables teachers to type messages to pupils, which are then translated into the 19 native tongues of children with no English. Another 11 languages spoken by pupils who have some English, and with figures showing that one in six primary pupils speak a different language at home, double the number 10 years ago, the technology could soon become a permanent feature in many more schools. And it's called the Talking Tutor. It can translate English into 25 languages, including Polish, Urdu, Pakistani, and Chinese. A further 200 languages can be translated on screen. Remember I read an article a year ago where a girl had been um, brought up um, 
on a hate charge for, at school because she walked out of a classroom that she'd been told to sit in. And she was English, and uh, you see, she spoke English, but you see, everybody else, no one else in the class did. They all spoke Urdu, and the whole lecture was in Urdu. So she made a little bit of stink about it, naturally, and that's called hate, you see. That's hateful. What are we living in here? What is this matrix part? What is this room in the matrix where where everything is upside down? And wrong is right and right is wrong. What is it? It didn't happen by itself. It did not happen by itself. Now, I've got an article here, it's called The Largest Tax Hikes in History. This is the, the end, really, of the finishing of the U.S. As they eliminate anything left of a, a middle class or even a higher working class, can write down. And it's got a list of all the taxes coming up in January the 1st next year. Back with more after these messages. And we're cutting through the matrix. A lot of folk don't like hard facts. They don't like bad news. But you understand, if you don't know what's really happening and you want to fight something in some way, uh, you've got to understand what it is you're fighting or complaining about or yelling about or disagreeing about. The fact is, you've got to understand it and all of its, its badness and its wickedness as techniques and as cunningness. You've got to understand all of these things to know what you're taking on. Otherwise, you get flattened. And these guys at the top obviously cannot be negotiated with because they're working towards a well-understood, agreed, they're all on board with it, agenda. A world agenda. To bring everybody down to the same miserable level. And then depopulate gradually, gradually over a long period of time and they control the food and they hype up the injections to you and sterilize you and eventually they'll have their wonderful utopia maybe in 2050 or so for themselves, with the whole world for themselves and their families you know, the better genes to go on, as they believe but I'll put up too, as I say, at cuttingthroughmatrix.com uh, this uh, site, it's got a lot of uh, up-and-coming taxes for the U.S. that really hasn't been hit yet as badly as the Europe. The Canada, of course, has just stuck an 8% extra tax up their value-added tax, which they call GST here. And um, and we'll still got carbon taxes and energy taxes to go on top of all of that, of course. But the U.S. really hasn't been hit yet. In January the 1st, they will be. And it's for Americans for Tax Freedom. I'll put up their site too with a list of all the coming taxes for January the 1st. It's going to be quite something indeed when they hit you with all of this at once. But that's what we're going through. You see, it's a new world order. And uh, it's uh, what Bush Sr. said, uh, the new world order is a tool. It's a tool for new possibilities. That's what they call it in their nice vague language to the public. Possibility thinking. 
where they come up with ideas and, and storm, we call it brainstorming meetings with their think tanks about things that could sound ludicrous outside of the tank, but not while you're actually in the milieu of the tank at the time. And that's why it works. The public never catch on that anybody would have such amazing, grandiose plans. But they do. And they've discussed everything if they don't pull this off, including, well, there's too many of the wrong kind of people consuming what we'll need, you know, in the future for our families and our gene pool to go on. That's all been discussed at the top. It's all part of it. Always was part of it. Always was part of it. It's only the public at the bottom. They're kept in la-la land with their Hollywood stuff on television and their schizoid news with sports being interjected with, with marital breakups of stars and bodies in Iraq or wherever else they're slaughtering them. It's all schizoid and pseudo-masochistic. And therefore the public themselves being under a psychopathic system who gave you a psychopathic culture, turn round on each other. And even though not psychopathic, they abuse each other and they cannot stand together. It's time you all stood together, folks, and very quickly. Because bad things are going down and bad, bad times are coming up. You will need at least, at least quite a few good friends. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you.